0: Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Oh, welcome. Glad you guys are all here. You're more used to being here than I am. Um, So next week, you can tell Sam that you had version 2.0. Seeing as I'm the younger brother, that means I'm the new and improved version. Um, (laughs) Oh, you got to give him a hard time. Um, but life is fun. I'm excited about the word today because we're going to talk about passing on your faith. Not passing it like when they passed the food that you didn't want, you just keep it going, but <laughs> passing as in the I want to make sure that my faith doesn't die with me. Like, as believers, all of us are called to share our faith. All of us are called To pass it on. Now, this greatly affects parents, grandparents, mentors, people of influence, people who come in contact with others, followers of Jesus, um, with applications for those who avoid people and those who don't yet know Jesus. So I think I got you covered somewhere in there um, because all of us need to, all of us are called to pass on our faith. And when I started diving into this subject in the Word, I discovered some really good news some bad news, and some things that we can do about it. So if, if you look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul's talking to Timothy. and He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And you look at this and you go, this is amazing. The faith got passed from one generation to the next, to the next. So our faith can be passed on. And this is good, and this is exciting. However, Judges chapter 2, verse 10, says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. So you, we, we saw with Timothy that the faith had been passed on generation after generation. And over here we see that the faith did not get passed on. And so the good news is that it can. The bad news is it's not automatic. So we're going to look at some of what the Bible says to how do we intentionally make sure to pass on our faith because we are all called to pass it on. It's called the Great Commission. Um, It's not just for parents, not just for grandparents, but all of us have this responsibility uh, those of us with children have a have those that we are the absolute most concerned with catching it but all of us should be passing on our faith but before I dive into all of these things that we can do I want to give a little disclaimer because I am sure that in a group this size there are some of you who have prodigal children um, And sometimes you hear this, and it can be easy to try to like, for the enemy to try to shame you and to go, oh, well, this is all the areas that you failed. You aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. God is perfect. God made a perfect world. Perfect God made a perfect world and stuck a perfect dude and a perfect woman in the perfect um, garden, and they messed up. Um, Jesus was perfect. He had 12 disciples, and one of them betrayed him. So, Even when you do things right, you don't get to control other people's choices. And that is a thing. Um, Don't walk out of here with guilt or shame, but let's walk out equipped and empowered to be intentional with passing on our faith. Whether it's to our children, whether it's to our grandchildren, whether it's to our coworkers, classmates, neighbors, all of us can be on purpose and pass on our faith. In fact, point number one, is B on purpose and B involved. When we look through our Bible, if, you, if you're not a regular reader of the Bible, you are missing out. This is by far the world's greatest selling book of all time. And it has amazing principles, amazing truths, and incredible stories inside of it. As we read it, we discover some heroes of the faith. And some of these guys are legends and the things that they do are amazing. And some of them, you look at it and you're like, that's just so awesome. I want to be like you. you... But then there's this like shocking thing where you have some of them that are so great and then their kids are idiots. And you're like, what happened? Like the apple's not supposed to fall that far from the tree. Like how was this person so amazing and then their kids so clueless? How did this person love God so much and their kids not? And so I want to look at some of them and learn some things. Our first one will be Eli. Eli's is, his story is found in 1 Samuel. Eli is a priest. He is a priest set aside to honor God, serve God, and help people connect with God. And so you would think of all people that he would be a master at passing on his faith. And, but when you, you find him, you find out that he was a complete failure at passing on his faith to his kids. He did a lot for a lot of people. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men that did not know the Lord. If the Bible calls you worthless, that is pretty shocking. So I started looking at this going, okay, what happened to Eli? Because Eli loved God and his children did not at all. And we're just going to stick a pin right here, okay? Eli, sons, doesn't love God. Because the next person in our story kind of overlaps here. We find Samuel. Now Samuel, uh, his mom couldn't have any kids. And she comes to the tabernacle, and she is praying, and she's like, God, I can't, I, I, I want to have a kid. And she's praying, She's she says, God, if you give me a child, I'll give my child to you. In fact, Eli sees her praying, sees her mouth moving, but doesn't hear any of the words. And he looks, and he's like, what are you doing drunk? And she's like, I'm not drunk, I'm praying. And he's like, oops, sorry, uh, may God grant your request. And he just kind of um, puts it out. Well, God does. And she gives birth to, to a boy, she names him Samuel, and she promised that she would give God her child, that he would serve God all of his days. So she's like, "Well, God, I'm going to honor that as soon as he's weaned, so that he can leave me." And I don't know how old he was, but that doesn't take that long. Um, he's not that old, and she takes him and brings him to the tabernacle and says, "Eli." Um, I promised God that if he would give me a son, that my son would serve him all of his days. So I'm bringing my son to come and to serve before God all of his days. And and so Samuel stays there at the tabernacle with the priest, and she brings him a new robe every year that she makes for him, and and God blesses her with more kids, and she's got a cool story. But Samuel grows up to love God. He loves and serves God. In fact, he becomes a legend for, for leading the nation and for following God. And I looked and I'm like, okay, Eli's sons don't love God. Who raised Samuel? Eli. But why does Samuel so love God if Eli's sons don't? And as, you, as we look at it, it's It's easy to go, well, the difference is his mom, and you're not wrong. His mom loved him. His mom was praying for him hardcore before he was even born. His mom had dedicated him, and she continued to pray for him, and that is huge, and that is important, but I think that there's more. When you look at the difference between these two, you find out that Eli had a really important job. As the priest, it was a big job. It was large, it was important, it was looked up to. We don't see anything from his kids until they're adults. What interaction do we have between Eli and his children? The interaction that we see is as they're adults, he still refuses to correct them. He still refuses to deal with their issues, but he's been doing his own thing. But what did he do with Samuel? Samuel. What was different? See, because Eli's own kids weren't raised by Eli. He was busy. He was in the tabernacle. But Samuel didn't even leave the tabernacle. He slept at the tabernacle. He served with Eli. And we see Eli teaching him, going, hey, this is how to hear from God. He's like, what you're hearing is from God. Next time you hear that voice, say, God, here I am. I'm listening. Speak to me. And he coaches Samuel in following God and he is involved with him in the process. And I looked at am like, oh man, why? How is it that he's so involved with this kid who wasn't even his own, but he wasn't involved in the process with his own children and his own children didn't follow God, but Samuel didn't, but Samuel did. But when we go on, we find that Samuel repeated Eli's mistake. Samuel was busy Samuel became super influential. Samuel's traveling and ministering and doing all of this. But again, we don't see much of interaction between, with him and his children. But what we see is that as they get old, yet his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and preferred justice. And it's so easy. Like, as I read this, I'm like, what is going on? But there's some light that gets shed on this subject in Second Kings, chapter ten, verse, verses one to eight, it, it's another one of the kings. In like fact, this is not the king you want to learn from, but he showed you what not to do. Uh, he goes through; he has seventy sons. That is a lot of kids. Um, I would recommend that you do not have seventy children. Okay, uh, that would be very hard to dedicate. Uh, your time to 70 different kids to pour into them at that level. If you've got those skills, props to you. Let me buy you coffee because you probably need it. But uh, Ahab's solution was to go, you know what? I am busy. I'm king. I have a large job to do. And I have a lot of things I want to do. And parenting is work. So he went to the leaders of a different village and said, hey, I want you guys to raise my sons, and this actually comes up with a few different kings that you see it spelled out, but this was this practice of like, oh, I've got so much to do. Let someone else raise them. I'm like, this is this is crazy. Um, and it's common that when I look at the kings, I would see one with a report card because the Bible gives them report cards. It's like, hey, this guy became king in Jerusalem. They reigned for this many years and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or they did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and just kind of lays it out. And you'd see like a great one followed by an idiot, followed by a great one, followed by an idiot, by an idiot, by a good one. by And, and I'm like, well, why? Because they passed off raising their kids to somebody else. So their faith didn't get passed on. And it, it is so easy when you read your Bible and thousands of years have passed And you read the whole story in a matter of a couple of chapters to look at it with this context and go, that was stupid. Because you see the end from the beginning. Like, you read through the whole thing in a few minutes and you're like, huh, that didn't work out. But we often still do the same thing. We just don't have as much perspective. See, the world has not gotten less busy. We have come up with all sorts of ways to, to save time and still lose track of time. Like, we have a microwave. There's never been a faster way to cook your food. And you throw it in there, and, and we get impatient with a microwave that is the highest, like, speed way to cook anything. We don't have to go kill something every day to eat. You don't have to butcher it. Most of you guys buy bread. You didn't even have to, like, slave over it and make it from scratch every day. Like, there's so much that we do to save time, yet somehow we are busier than we have ever been. So what happens? So often, we look and go, oh, you know what? The school will raise my kids. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll pay to send them to a Christian school, or or it's the sports teams, or the... um, They'll just watch TV and they'll stay out of my hair. Or and we go through all these different things where we pawn off the raising of our children to another, and then we wonder why our children's faith, our children's worldview and perspective reflects the cultures, reflects the schools, the sports teams, the TV shows. Well, it's because that's who we passed it to. And, And it's not just parents that need to be intentional. But, but as, as we look at this, with, with some of the parents, with some of this, it is so easy, uh, so easy for the homeschool parents to be like, yeah, that's why I'm homeschooling. Okay, homeschooling isn't right for everybody. I me mean, just put that out there. It can be an amazing blessing, but you want to like your kids. If you can't homeschool your kid and like your kid, it might not be the thing for you. Uh, but, just because you're not homeschooling doesn't mean you shouldn't be involved. You go, hey, I can't do this. I can't be a part of that. But you can still ask them, hey, what's happening? what do you learn at school? What are people talking about? What? You can still be involved and you can still ask questions. In fact, you need to be. And if you're a grandparent, you can still work to be involved and to help give them a biblical world view. In fact, uh, all of you have heard of ridiculous things happening in our public schools. The problem is that most of us think ridiculous things happen in public schools far, far away, in a land of craziness like California. <laughs> Which you're not wrong, but the, they happen far closer to home than we would like to admit or realize. Uh, in fact, you can go to booklook.info and get a, they have a rating system for the books that are in a lot of our public school libraries. It is shocking. Like, I got in there, and, and, and it's like one to five, and I'm like, they can't be that bad. And then it like gives you a little excerpt, and you're like, it's that bad! Like, how on earth? Like, there, there's literally, they, they arrested somebody for reading some of the content out of the public school library at the school board meeting. You're like, if it's that not appropriate, why on earth are you giving that to my student? My wife went to a school board meeting um, as they were bringing this up and talking about it and going, hey, these should not be in our school. She said it was shocking how few parents and grandparents were involved. But because they were involved, because they gave voice, that school was able to go, hey, We'll do something about it, and we'll put some stuff in place and begin to pull some of these books that are incredibly not appropriate. But I want to encourage you to be involved. Be on purpose. Don't assume it will happen just because you believe. And some of those go, but, I, but I'm not a parent, but I don't have kids. That's okay. You still breathe, and you still share the planet. If this is news to you, you share the planet with other people you can still pass on your faith. I remember when I went to college, I got a job as a telemarketer. Uh, I'm not still a telemarketer. Don't throw things at me. But (laughs) this was the days before robocalling. So um, it was actual real people on the phone that would call you. And I got a job. And you'd sit down at a desk. They give you a a paper for, if you set an appointment, they give you a paper full of phone numbers, a ruler, a pen, and a phone. And so you'd you know, move your ruler, read the fir- or dial, read the first name. Hopefully, you can pronounce it fast. And here they come. But you spend half the day with the phone ringing. So as soon as you would dial, you just lift your phone up like this, and this is the sign to all the telemarketers around you because you have a big you full of desks and people that it's ringing, but you're not talking to anybody yet. So you can chat. And then as soon as someone says hello, you just drop the phone down, and everyone knows leave you alone. You're now talking to somebody, and a lot of them hang up on you, some of them cuss at you, and a few of them let you set appointments. But in these conversations, I get to chat with everybody around me. And it starts out and they're all like, hey man, what'd you do this weekend? And they're all talking to each other, and the next guy's like, man, I got so drunk, I don't even know what I did this weekend. All I remember is waking up puking. I'm like, dude, that sounds like the flu. That's awful. And uh, But they're going through and they're comparing their party stories and they're moving down the line until they get to me and they're like, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, man, it was amazing. Like, yeah, what was it? Like, I went to church and God was moving and there's what they taught. And they're like, what? weird. <laughs> but it, it happened and over and over again, they're all like, I party." They're, they partied and I went to church and I tell them about stuff at church and they're, man, they would give me a hard time and tell. They had hard times. And it's amazing that they wanted to talk to each other about how they partied until they had a problem and then they went, hey, uh, c- could, you pr- could you, would you pray for me? I know that, I don't know normally ask this, but, but this is going on at home. And whether it's health, finances, relationships, whatever, they, they would bring it up and be like, hey, w- would you pray for me? Like, absolutely. Let's pray. like, What? right now? Yeah. Let's pray. Thank you. And I'd pray with him. I'd invite him to church. And it was amazing to watch the people who wanted nothing to do with God come around later and go, hey, you, you, you weren't just hoping I would miraculously know that you believe something and that by osmosis, I'd be like, no, you said it, you spoke it, you invited me to church. So here, pray with me. Some of them came to church. I got to, I got to walk down, and some of them gave their life to Jesus because I was on purpose. I want to encourage you, whether you're with your children, with your grandchildren, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, let us be on purpose. Number two is model it. We need to model our faith. It is so much easier to say, go do that, than it is to say, come, let's do this. But inviting them and in modeling is so much more powerful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, speaking of Abraham, it says, For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him. Not that he may just tell them where to go, but that he could model it and call them to follow. As I was thinking about this, thinking about my parents going, hey, how did they pass on their faith? And uh, for those who don't know well, Pastor Samuel is my brother. Pastor Samuel, who pastors here, uh, is my brother. My other brother pastors in Holland. My sister and her husband pastor in Grand Haven. And I'm on staff as a pastor in Granville. Like All of us are loving Jesus in the ministry And I said, so what did they do? And one of the things that just stood out as I looked back was that they didn't just say, love Jesus. They modeled it. If I got up early in the morning, I would find dad either reading his Bible or working out and then reading his Bible. Like, if I caught him at the right he was reading his Bible and underlining his Bible, always taking stuff in. Mom would be out there, and she would have her Bible or Bibles out, notes everywhere. And she's all like... Hey, good morning, Mom. Hey, did you know that Psalms this connects with this? And she's all like just excited about it, inviting me to be a part of it. When I was a kid, there wasn't, I don't remember a, you have to read your Bible. It was, are you big enough to read your Bible? Now, what little kid doesn't want to be bigger? Ask a four-year-old how old they are. Four and a half (laughs) don't forget the half. When did you turn four? Last week. That's that's not a half yet, bud. more than four. (laughs) Because they're aiming, they want to be big. They want to be adult. They want to do adult things. And so I remember getting into the Word at a young age because that's what adults did. I could barely read, and I remember trying to read my Bible because that's what you do. And there would be lots of it that I, I didn't quite get yet. And then there, you'd come across something really simple and easy, like you're reading Proverbs, and it's like, even a fool is considered wise when they keep their mouth shut, and you're like, hmm. I, 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 I can understand that. But this was, this was something that they modeled. They didn't just like bash me over the head and go, well, you're not obeying your father and mother like the Bible says. Like, it's easy to do that, that this should not just be a weapon. This should be our guidebook. And when our children see us weaponize it, it opposes, it puts them on odds against it. When our children see us go to it, it makes this the foundation for their life. If this is just how I beat them, then why would they like it? But if when they come to a, hey, can I, should I, what should we do? And they see us go, well, what does the Bible say? Then they see not just do what I said, but this is the guide by which we decide. And I remember going to my parents going, hey, can we do this? And they said, hey, well, the Bible says to avoid the appearance of evil. So you're sitting here wanting to argue whether you could theoretically do this without sinning. And they're like, yeah, but what's it look like? Because here's what the Bible says. And you're like, mm, I can't argue with that. I remember going to dad going, hey, I want to go see this movie. And it was like the biggest movie that had come out up to that point. It had broke every record. And everybody was gonna go see it. And I'm like, yeah, everybody's seeing it, I wanna see it. And he's like, no. I'm like, why not? He's like, there's naked people. Okay, everybody's seeing it. He goes, yeah, Matthew chapter five, this is what Jesus says about lust. So this is the standard that we have based on what Jesus said. Okay. But what that did was it wasn't just dad said I can't go see the movie. It was here's the standard, and here's going to become the guide. And so it outlasted my being in his house. So I began looking at this going, okay, so it's so important to model it, but do I do everything that I saw my parents do? No, I don't. There's a lot of things my parents did that I don't do. And so I said, well, why? Why are there some things that my parents passed on and other things that my parents didn't pass on that I saw them do. And I started asking other people, like, what did did your parents do all the time that you do and what did they do all the time that you don't do and what made the difference? And here's one of the things that came up. Um, It has to do with what you invite them into, not just what you do. So there's a ton of things that I picked up from my parents. One of the things that really helped me see this my dad, growing up, was a cyclist. It means he rides a bicycle, pedal bike, a lot. Uh, he would do at least 5,000 miles a year, um, which is quite a bit. And, but I didn't pick it up. And I mean, he's, I, I know it was so often I'd see him, I'd help him clean the chain on his bike, or I'd do different parts of it for him. And I said, well, why did he ride all of this and that didn't transfer? Well, when he would ride, he would ride far, and he would ride fast. And as a kid, I couldn't ride far, and I couldn't ride fast. So I wasn't invited, so that was something that he did, but not something that I picked up. However, one of the things that he did, was he would work out in the basement. And so from the time I, was, I entered high school, or I think before I was even in high school, I started working out with Dad in the basement until I moved out of the house. And then fast forward a decade, And all of a sudden, the scale told me I needed to do something on purpose because I wasn't getting enough exercise on accident, so I put a gym in the basement because that's what I'd modeled. That's what I'd been a part of. That's what he'd invited me into. And one of the the things that he had in the basement that he would use, I hadn't used much, but was a spin bike for um, getting some exercise in the basement. So I got some weights. I got a spin bike, started riding that, and then I was curious, like, how close to the real world is this? I got to find out. So after riding through the winter in the basement, I got out on the road and I rode a few times. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And my friend, who's a insane cyclist, um, and uh, he, he's like, hey, you got to come ride with us. I'm like, all right. So I went for a ride with him. And it was crazy. and It was fun. And I'm like, He invited me to be part of it with him. And I did, I don't know, maybe 2,000 miles that year, um, riding a bunch with them. And I went from not a cyclist to a cyclist because somebody invited me to be a part of it. They didn't just do it, they said, hey, come do this with me. And they were patient and they were kind because my friend was stronger and faster. In order for him to ride with me, he had to be intentional and be willing to lay aside the speed that he could hit to let me come along. And and he took this time and he brought me into it. And I began to look and go, okay, this is something that my parents did in so many areas. And this is how we pass something on. But as, as I look at this modeling and it's inviting them to be a part, there's there's an area where a lot of us miss it. And I may offend somebody with this, and if I offend you, I am kind of sorry. Uh, I wish it didn't offend you, but if I didn't bring it up, it wouldn't be loving because it matters. In this modeling, sometimes we think that kids or others, will pick up what we intend and not what we do. And we justify our our actions and hope that they'll pick up what we should have done rather than what we justified and did. Our compromises become the normal for our children. Uh, Let me look at two stats that are shocking. Shocking. The number of of children who walk away from their faith after they leave high school is astonishing. The other stat is the rate at which people attend church that has changed and become shocking. I think these two are connected. If you were to go back 30 years and you were to ask somebody, "Hey," how often do you go to church? They would probably respond with how many times per week they go. Today, if you ask somebody, hey, how often do you go to church? They will probably respond with either how many times per month they go or how many times per year. And I started looking at this and and even those that say they go to church all the time, going, what does that look like today? It used to look like, hey, I'm there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It's like, hey, I'm gonna be a part of all of these different things. It's like, the doors are open, I'm a part of it. If there's something involved, I'm doing it. But what's become common is they talk to people like, oh, I'm, I'm at church all the time. Really? I'm like, that's awesome, except for travel ball. When the kids are in travel ball, well, we miss it for a couple months. Or, or, or except except for the summer, because it's Michigan, and let's be real, our summer, it comes, it goes very quickly, and so we have a lake property, and so we're always at church except for in the summer. Or except for when it's sunny, because we have a boat, and we got to get, get some use on it. Or except for when uh, we were out late the night before because we had a big important event and then we all just sleep in and skip church today. But it's just because we had a really late night. Except for, and then their kids go off to college and their kids don't get involved in church. And they're like, why doesn't my kid go to church? Like we taught them better than this. But their kid goes, well, I stayed up really late last night. So I'd be, I, that's when you sleep in, like, but 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 it wasn't something important. To, like, well, I wanted to watch the TV show, so I, I stayed up late. So you don't go, because what I learned was that church is important if you don't have anything else to do. And sometimes the priorities that we demonstrate, sometimes the things that we pass on, aren't really the things that we want our kids to pick up. We want them to follow which means we need to model and we need to invite and thirdly I want to I want to cover this one a little bit quick but we need to correct and redirect Uh, and this is true of your children and this is true of those who have given you the right and influence in their life even if they aren't your kids. Now, if you just walk up to Joe Schmo on the street and you just start hollering at them, they're probably not going to listen to you. But if you've got someone who's close to you and they're being an idiot and you don't say something, that's selfish because you're more concerned with the uncomfortableness of the difficult conversation than you are with the outcome of their life. That's why they tell you that a friend will tell you if you have a booger hanging from your nose. If you're going into an interview and you've got something on your face, you've got something stuck between your teeth, a friend looks at you and goes, hey, uh, you don't need to save the salad. Remove it. The the friend tells you if your fly is down. Your, Your friend tells you. But see, Proverbs says this. It says, discipline your child while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. It is so easy. Our culture says, but if you love them, you'll just love them for who they are and where they are. And that's stupid. The the world that says that doesn't even believe that. They just wanna be selective and go, I don't want you to tell me that what I'm doing isn't okay. But the same world will sit here and will push the model that friends don't let friends drive drunk. Why not? Because it's not loving to let your friend do anything that they want. It's not loving to let your kids do anything that they want. If I know that what they're doing is going to hurt them, why would I let them keep doing it? If I let my kids do whatever they wanted, they'd be dead. My little kids wanted to race across parking lots. Like, dude, you are like this fast and like a speeding bullet. Cars can't see you, but they can still hit you. You can't play with your micro-machine cars or your matchbox cars in the road. I know that's where cars wanna drive and that's where, but that's why you can't play there. I love them, so I correct them. And our world pushes this, it's just you, you just gotta accept me. But let me tell you something, that's not love. There's examples, if we look at King David, He didn't discipline his children, and it destroyed his family. There was incest, rape, murder, all inside of his, amongst his kids, because he didn't deal with it, because he didn't challenge their behavior. Eli was called out by God because he honored his sons above God by letting them continue without confronting but this is the motto of our culture our culture says that there's no truth and desires to define right by desire which leaves a society that worships self and places self as God as a new ultimate authority if we want to grow we need people who can correct us and if we want our kids to grow we have to be willing to correct them If we have friends in our life that we want to grow and improve, we have to be willing to have difficult conversations. It's not walk up and let me be Captain Fault Finder. But we wanna help each other. My friends that I bike with, I started doing bike races and different things with them and they'd sit here and go, hey, here's what you did wrong. Here's where you need to hold on to here. Here's where you need to push harder. When I get done preaching, my dad will often call me in the next day, all right, On a one to 10, here's what your rating was. Here's what you did awesome. And here's what you can improve. It's not because he doesn't like me. It's because he does. We need to be willing to be on purpose, to be involved, to model it, to invite them to be a part and be willing to have hard conversations if we want to pass it on. But the most important kind of comes back to modeling it but in Acts I believe it's chapter 3 but it's in the end of my notes here Peter and John are walking to the temple and they see a man who's lame who's begging the man asks for money and Peter looks at him and goes silver and gold have I none but what I have I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walks and takes him and lifts him up man was healed. But what it showed me is you can't give away what you don't have. We can't pass faith on that we don't have. So as we look at this, the first step is going, hey, do I have faith? Do I have a relationship with God that's worth passing? And if not, it's time to start it. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship today. No matter what you've seen modeled or not seen modeled, God wants a relationship with you. He wants to guide and direct your steps. He wants to pay the price that you couldn't pay to see your sins forgiven and washed away. And he says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. So I want to do something really simple. And we're going to say a prayer. We're going to call on God's name. And whether you've done this before, we then join me. But if today you say, hey, I want to make Jesus my Lord. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And after we pray, I'll give you a chance to identify and say, hey, that was me. So can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Go, to, go ahead and repeat after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I repent of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. That your blood paid the price for me. Thank you for loving me. I choose to follow you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bowed, eyes still closed. Today, if you said, hey, I made that decision. I made Jesus my Lord, or I came back to Jesus. I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's something I did today. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise up your hand. Say nice and high. That's me. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand. Who else? That's me. Most important decision. All right. Well, God, I thank you for each person who made that decision today. God, that you would lead them and guide them, that you would draw them in closer and closer to you, that you give them a revelation of who you are, of who you made them to be, that you would bring freedom in their life. God, that you would give them a strong faith and that you would help them to pass it on. And we ask that you would have your way in and through them. In Jesus' name, amen.